Well, read the stories of Joseph, and it's good reading. Go home and read them today. And you realize that over the years, he does a lot of growing. Can you imagine the bratty kid who so annoyed his brothers being able to say, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. I'm sure that is not how he felt when his brothers threw him into the pit and then sold him off to drug dealers. And surely that's now how he felt as he was sold into the house of Potiphar. And surely that's not how he felt when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of rape and had him thrown in jail. Surely Joseph was human enough to be angry, to be despairing, to feel like life had really dealt him a losing hand. Surely he had dreamed of the day when he could get his hands on those brothers, the ones who had wrenched him away from his position as the adored younger son. Well, it's a long way from the snotty kid with the amazing technicolor dream coat to the wise and forgiving man. What has happened that Joseph can say and believe what he does about the troubles he's been through? Well, let me suggest three things. First, there is the perspective of time. You know, a lot of you here have lived in the same place for a long time, and you know what I'm talking about. There's a corner of Michigan where I've gone almost every summer for the last 65 years, and I'm one of the newcomers there. <laughs> it takes three generations before you really belong. My grandchildren have arrived. We know each other's parents and grandparents, brothers and sisters, spouses and ex-spouses, children and grandchildren, nieces, nephews, cousins, and there isn't much of life we haven't watched unfold over the years. And sitting on the beach, catching up with a friend who'd been through a really difficult time, and now is really in a good place, we both knew that time has a way of working things out. And let's face it, that's no, not always apparent when we're in the midst of it. There are times when life seems pretty awful, and we really can't see beyond the pain. That little boy sitting in the pit listening to his brothers decide whether to kill him or sell him to the passing drug dealers, could have no idea how his life would turn out. The psalmist writes, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, the psalmist's words may be true, but they're hard to believe when you are in the night weeping. And one of the advantages of getting older is that you do realize that, well, yes, this too will pass. <clears throat> and as helpful as it is to simply wait something out, it takes more than time to turn pain into healing. What's clear is that over the years, Joseph himself has changed. Think of it. Here are the brothers who have treated him so shamefully. And the offense was very real. And there's no excuse for their behavior. Yet Joseph does not seek the revenge that somewhere along the line he must have waited, wanted. Joseph is a different person. And that's one reason we pray. Prayer, real prayer, has less to do with, God, will you change that, to, here I am, God, change me. We don't do that very often, do we? 
We're much more prone to use God, use prayer as the to-do list for God. You know, fix this, change that, take care of thus and so. And we're quite sure we know how it should be done. Let me suggest an alternative way. When you run into one of those hard and painful places, just lift them up before God. No suggestions, no solutions, just here it is, Lord. I don't know what to do with it. I do know that I need your help. We need your touch in this place. And I will trust you to do whatever it is that needs to be done. I'll follow where you lead me, and I will allow you to do your work in me. Now, that's not easy. And it can mean giving up some of our very cherished prejudices. It can mean leaving behind parts of our life that have been destructive, but it could also mean leaving behind parts of our life that have been meaningful. But if we're willing to be changed, if we're willing to open ourselves to what God can do in us, then our lives will move forward into healing and into wholeness. And yeah, that's as true for congregations as it is for people. Joseph finds that, but you know, so do his brothers. Judah's the oldest brother, and he had sort of vaguely tried to protect Joseph as they were growing up and trying to deal with him. But let's face it, his protests were really rather lame. And now he runs this test to see whether his brothers have changed, and Joseph finds that Judah is willing to sacrifice himself for his youngest brother. Judah's willing to take Benjamin's place so that that brother could go free. Judah has changed. So what is it that will get us through the hard and the difficult times? Time and a willingness to surrender ourselves to God's work in us. And even more is the confidence in God's ability to reshape and reform the events of our lives. You know, Jesus says, God makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. I like the bumper sticker that says it a whole lot more eloquently, but you can't say that word in church. (laughs) (laughs) Happens. Nobody is immune. It just does happen. And life, with all its rich texture of joy and grief, life comes to all of us. So the question is not so much what happens to us as it is what do we do with what happens to us? How do we look at the things that come? And it goes beyond the wisdom of just when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. It has to do with changing the intents of the event. I mean, Joseph's brothers obviously had an evil intent. There's just no way to gloss over that. They were being downright rotten. And there's no way to say God approved of what they did, let alone suggest that such was ever the plan of God. Evil is evil, and it's against the will of God, always. But even evil cannot thwart the will of God. God can and does move in and through the events of our lives to transform them and to bring some measure of good from them. 
God can and does change our world. You know, I hang on to that belief as I see the dark underbelly of our nation on parade. It's just been awful this week. And I keep asking, is this the beginning of a new day of bigotry and hatred? Or is it the last gasp of a really wretched way of living? I trust God to get us through it. But I also know that those who bear the name of Jesus Christ must work against every form of discrimination and hatred. We have to work to change the things that are wrong. But we do that knowing that what God has done before, God can do again. Look at Joseph. He moves from foreign slave to chief of the realm. I mean, who could believe it? But something more than political achievement is at work here. A family is reunited. An old man finds his long-lost son that he thought was dead. A family is saved from famine and even more becomes a nation through these 12 sons, 12 tribes, a nation that brings light to the world and salvation to all of God's children. The elder John had a glimpse into the future, and his visions are found in our book of Revelation. And there, in the midst of the terrible persecution that Rome had unleashed upon the Christians, John sees the throne of God, and gathered around it are the saints in white robes. Who are they? asks John. And the answer comes back, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They weren't spared trouble and pain. They couldn't go around the dark valley, but they were brought safely through it. They were brought safely through it. Remember that when you hit your own hard time. And there were no shortcuts for Jesus. He had to go through the cross, through the humilities, and the death, but he came through it powerfully. God took that event and all the evil intent behind it, and God changed it. God changed the intent of what happened and brought forth life and love out of death and hatred. What do we do when the hard times come? Our own, those of our church, those of our country. We trust the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in medieval England, when war, civil war, and plague were ravishing the land, there was an incredible woman who was a, an anchorite. She lived alone in a corner of the cathedral. And Julian of Norwich, no stranger to what was going on, writes, all shall be well, and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. Now, those weren't the words of some naive Pollyanna. They were the words of a woman of deep faith and deep trust in God and fully aware of the hazards around her. But she could write, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Amen.